0: Welcome everyone to episode 44 of the 25 live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is Dr. Graham Peasley. Now Graham is a professor of experimental nuclear physics at the university of Notre Dame. And he just had a study released looking at the fluorinated chemicals in our fire gear. So on this episode, we're going to discuss what is actually in our fire gear are any of these chemicals coming off. And as a fire service, What do we do from here? Where do we go from here? So without further ado, let's bring Graham in.
1: Okay, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, It's a pleasure to be back. And I uh, have wandered into the uh, fire services realm uh, completely by accident a few years ago. And I'm uh, happy to be able to make some contributions. Uh, I was contacted by the spouse of a firefighter who was uh, angry that her husband had uh, a cancer. And I discovered how prevalent they are in the services. And it was pretty alarming. Uh, And as all the firefighters know. And so she was convinced that there might be some of these chemicals in her husband's gear. And she sent me some samples and I looked at them and there was uh, fluorine in the gear, a lot of fluorine and so I became interested in uh, why these textiles were so treated and I didn't know much about turnout gear at the time we started studying them but I knew it was expensive I couldn't get it all on my own I had to have turned to some volunteer firefighters who uh, some volunteers in the study who were professional firefighters who had gear taken out of service or who had some brand new gear still in the wrapper. And I got hold of a whole bunch of sets of these through a a, a group of volunteers at the Lost Coal Foundation. And they uh, sent me the samples and we were able to study, you know, my my basic question was, is all gear like this? And the answer is yes, it meets NFPA 1971. It's all pretty similar. Uh, Even the different brands of gear, they're very similarly constructed and they have much the same textiles in them. Uh, We uh, were, I shouldn't have been surprised by that, but now I learn. Uh, And then we took measurements of how much of this PFAS material was used on the gear. And we learned why it was there. Uh, It was there to uh, provide water resistance, uh, what's called durable water resistance to the fabric, such that if you are hosed down, that the fabric remains dry or you remain dry, and that the the water doesn't penetrate. This saves weight on the gear. It saves uh, all sorts of other unpleasantries. And so it's an important part of the the personal protection equipment that firefighters use, uh, understand why it's there. Uh, but somebody thought that you know the first responders deserve the very best water surfactant ever made, and these PFASs are it. I mean, they are the ones that separate water and oil from um, uh, anything going into the gear. You've used a few years on Scotch guard on the carpets and things like that, and these types of materials are treated extensively to have um, to have durable water resistance uh, from this, from this chemical. What wasn't known at the time when this was first designed was that these chemicals are persistent. They last forever once you make them. And so there's no there's there's worry about that ecologically, but you know, if this we're going into a fire, this might be a, a neat cause to have it. Um, but then it also turns out these chemicals have toxicity. They persist in the body as well as in the environment. And as they bioaccumulate in there, there are some Uh, At least one or two of these chemicals that have been uh, shown in a court of law to cause two types of cancer and four or five other diseases that are well known. Um, Does that mean all chemicals are bad? Well, as scientists, we're afraid this entire class of chemicals has associated diseases with it um, and we don't know them all and we won't for another 10 years. But uh, we know enough to take precautions, and they've voluntarily phased out in this country those two chemicals, the C8 chemicals. They've voluntarily phased out the manufacture and use of them in principle. And so uh, they've switched to a shorter chain one. We're uh, a little concerned with that as well, but. The thing that struck me as odd about the gear that I studied was that nobody knows it's there Um, and it's fine to use it. Uh, It's uh, something you want to be a little bit cautious about because my first hypothesis was that some of this uh, material will come off. Um, I said that only because I have studied carpets in the past and we know that carpets that are scotch guarded. Uh, will lose their waterproofness, uh, or water resistance, stain resistance over time, especially in high wear areas. If you go up and down the carpets, it you know, you need to retreat it every few years because or well, the sunlight hits it in this corner of the room. That's the part where the water or the stainproofness, the strain proofing comes off. And so, you know, what happens if this comes off while the firefighters wearing it um and i asked how long the gear is typically used and you know most municipalities replace a set of gear every five to ten years um i think there's a requirement it's got to be less than 10 years but it, you know some uh fire, fire replace it more regularly than others but they are all replaced and they get a new set of gear uh, before there are burn holes in it and things like that and so there's a lot of this out there uh, it's being used uh in every situation uh, firefighters uh work in the turnout gear, Um, and they're heavily fluorinated. And my suspicion was that this would come off with time. And we have a a technique that we've developed to measure fluorine, which is not PFAS, but it's one of the uh, primary uh, uh, identifiers of all PFAS is that it has fluorine. And very little else in uh, human uh, materials is going to have fluorine in it. Uh, We use a little bit in our water to fluoridate our teeth Uh, But that's fluoride and not organofluorine. We, uh, most of the rest of it is all tied up in rocks in this planet. There's no free fluorine floating around. There's no fluorine gas. There's no fluorine in liquids, except for what humans put there and these PFAS chemicals. Um, There's no way that a textile should have fluorine in it. And so when we put the uh, uh, textiles in front of our, our instrument, we see very clearly if it's been PFAS treated or if it's just even being close to PFAS treatment, we can tell it's rubbed up against one. Uh, But it has um, uh, a pretty good sensitivity for fluorine and it's rapid. So we could do all these things relatively rapidly. And we looked at how much was on the outside surface. Then we looked at the old gear that had been in use for five to 10 years in a municipal fire department and we saw that the outer layers had less. So that was our first clue that you know, I think this is coming off and you can sort of tell it because gear as it ages, you know, put it in sunlight, wash it a few times or get it wet. Um, and it will start to fade. And that's got nothing to do with fluorine. That's just the dyes in the, that makes the jacket black or brown. Uh, they will tend to fade in the sunlight because there's, uh, those dye molecules are affected by sunlight. The PFAS are not affected by sunlight, but how they're attached to the jacket certainly would be. And so I think that the, the older the jacket gets on the outside that some of that gear will come off. So then we got into the nitty gritty of, of what layers had which PFAS in them. And we had to send them out for a commercial analysis to find out which type of PFAS were there. And we did, uh, we did an extraction and found out what was on the uh, three different layers of turnout gear. Typically there's an outer shell, everybody knows. There's a thermal uh, liner, which is cloth on the inside and there's a moisture barrier, which, which is in between. And that moisture barrier is made uh, to be waterproof. And so it has Teflon in it. And Teflon is polymeric PFAS. And that's what it is. Uh, It's made that way. And it's a a nice uh, liner of it that prevents water from going in and out. Um, In a polymeric form, this is a a long chains. It's not so dangerous as people know, because then um, if you were to swallow some, it would pass right through you. Your body can't absorb something that's, that's large. However, um, in the manufacture of these long chains, they use short chain PFAS as a solvent. And so you have to manufacture these long threads that you're going to weave into fabric. And what they do is they have to have it an organic solvent. And this is what led to the big C eight study that, you know, Rob Bellatts associated with and the, the terrible poisonings in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Back before 2012, the industry standard was used PFOA. And PFOA was one of those that we found out from that study of 69,000 participants that it causes cancers and diseases, and that's not good. Uh, And so we didn't check all the other ones because that wasn't under concern there. And the industry in the US (laughs) has voluntarily removed PFOA from its manufacturing process of these polymers, (coughs) excuse me. And so, what you, uh, unfortunately, all clothing made before that time had this moisture barrier with P4 in it. <laughs> Since that time, it's not been used for P4. It may have taken a year or two beyond the switch date, but somewhere in that range, they, they started clearing out the P4. Um, however, the outer shell is not made from Teflon, it's made from a textile, a, a nylon or a type of a synthetic textile. <clears throat> that has a Kevlar or a, something a Nomex that you guys know. Uh, those are not fluorinated per se, but they can be added to with a side chain fluoropolymer so-called. And this is a, a way that you can uh, affect the weave that you're making it out of to make it waterproof and very waterproof because these fluorocarbons are attached to it. And there, they never used before. It was always something like PFOA, but not exactly that. That's attached to the outside of the outside of the jacket, and it's you know woven into the fabric and is there from the beginning. Um, if you design the jacket that way, and that makes the jacket very waterproof and stain-proof. Um, but with time, that attachment point will break. Um, with wear and tear or with sunlight and water, uh, just age uh, will do that. Um, we were able to exaggerate it by doing an extraction and we could see all these chemicals come off it. And we saw large amounts coming off the outer layer as well as in the moisture barrier. Um, the The inside layer, the, the cloth that's the inside for most gear is not fluorinated. It's just a nice piece of cloth that sits between your skin and these garments. Um, However, that was very illustrative for us because as soon as we got hold of the gear and we looked in that in a layer, yes, there was much less of it. Okay. It was in the part per billion range instead of part per billion and it was, you know, a thousand times less in there, but there was still significant amounts of fluorine in there. And then as you looked at the gear age, that inner layer, the thermal liner got higher and higher. All the rest went down, but it went up on the inner layer, which means that it's sort of acting as a collector for what's shedding off the outer liner and outer shell and for the uh, moisture barrier. And so uh, that, that's sort of our indication that it was coming off. When we looked at the specific results of which PFAS were involved, everything had PFOA in it, um, outer shell, inner shell. Moisture barriers before 2014 had it, after 2014 did not. Uh, so PFOA was the sort of hot, hot one because everybody knows that one, um, but there were plenty of others, and the short chain ones were abundant on all of them. Um, the uh, C8s and longer were on all the older gear, um, uh, and even now on the outer shell, and the answer is the outer shell was never made PFOA free, it was, it was never made with PFOA, so it's fine. Well, that's not true because it's the side chain fluoropolymers are also based on C8 chemistry. Um, And it's not PFOA. It's something called N-ethylphose, which is not PFOA, uh, but it's attached to a methacrylate backbone. And with time, that thing comes off. And, well, it's not exactly PFOA right when it comes off. But if you let it oxidize for a while, it'll turn into PFOA. And that's the concern that, you know, some of this will come off as dust or shed shed as a... Little bits of fabric, um, if that sits around in sunlight and water, or, or for example gets ingested accidentally and puts into your bloodstream, then your liver will start breaking it down very quickly into something it can't break down anymore, which is PFOA. Um And so that's the concern that this material is providing a source of PFOA and other PFAS into the environment, and that environment includes whoever's wearing it. Um, we you know, that in itself isn't necessarily dangerous unless it gets into the firefighter. And that's the third part, which isn't in our paper. It just says that this is an exposure source, we should study it. Uh, there's a th- obviously follow-up study that needs to be done, which is, can it go through the skin? Or can it be ingested? Well, sure, if you eat your clothing, yes, that's not gonna happen. But what happens if it gets on your hands and you don't wash before you eat? Well, we know in COVID, we're always supposed to wash our hands. But I think that, you know, how many, in-service firefighters treat the gear as if it's shedding a toxic material as they wear it. You know, you need the gear when you go into a burning building. Absolutely. It's, it's designed as your PPE and I'm uh, encouraging everybody to continue to wear their gear. It's necessary for your health and, and protection. What I'm worried about is that why are we making it with this chemical? It could be made NFPA 1971 compliant without PFAS. And certainly people have shown how to do that. This company that's already made textiles that way so why would we use this if there's an alternative available Um, and that's what i'm hoping the industry will do is that they'll switch away from the fluorinated chemistry and go to something that is less toxic both for the environment and for those who wear the gear uh the the reason we um think that this is going to be uh you know I'd, i'd like to encourage people what, what's the purpose of the study then? The purpose is to alert people that it's there and that we've had, you know, scientific review of this, which takes a long time. That people say, yeah, the data do clearly show that it's there. And some of the shocking things in there was that the loss of fluorine from the outside and the showing showing up in the thermal layer. But also then the chemicals involved, the ones we actually saw, we saw PFOA everywhere. We saw these other things that turn into PFOA and there's published work before ours that says, look, we can see this in other textiles. and. It, they just never thought to look at turnout gear. Um, They're looking at sportswear and things like that that are also treated. So we just made the connection and said, look, there's an occupational source of exposure here. Uh, It may not be large. Uh, Some people may not be getting much exposure, uh, but we don't know that. That's where an exposure study needs to be done. We know that AFFF is bad. That's got PFAS in it, and the Class B foams are are a terrible source of it. But if you go to the average municipal firefighter, he doesn't handle a lot of Class B foams every day. you might get a couple calls a year. You might get a couple calls, and my town they get you know three calls in seven years. It's not an uh, not every firefighter is exposed every day, unlike the military firefighters. So, how do they get elevated PFAS levels in their blood if it's not from the foam that they use? And the foam does stay in their body for a long time. You know, it's it's three years and five years for the PFO and PFAS. Um, and so that's a long time to sit in your blood if you get an accidental exposure or you use the foam and you're not, <clears throat> you're not transferring it carefully from the extruders and such. You get a splash on your skin. Does it stay there? Does it go through the skin? We don't know. But if you are exposed and we see elevations in firefighter populations everywhere from this PFAS, we've assumed it's all AFFF so far. But what if instead of having this large dose every few years, you had sort of a continual dose every day And it's slow it's just the dust on your jacket and most days you remember to wash your hands beforehand but maybe on a call once you forgot to wash your hands before you ate something did it get into your mouth sure Uh, did you inhale some possibly um, would some of it gone through a sweaty skin? You guys never sweat, of course. so Maybe that's not an issue, but uh, <laughs> But if, if this were, you know, if you had to bet on a chemical that could go through skin, the world's best surfactant it's a pretty good bet. And so we've got study a study designed and ongoing. There's three different groups in the world studying what goes through the skin now because of this very, very concern. And we'll have those results out in another few months. But I think that the concern is that if some of it goes through into the firefighter, then a little bit of exposure every day could be uh, just as bad as one large, some you know, a chunk of exposure in, a, in a, an A situation. Probably not as bad as the military firefighters that, you know, they have a lot more crashes and they have a lot more training with the AFFF. So those guys get much more, much more dosage. But um, we've seen this in several studies, you know, the the one of the female firefighters in San Francisco where it was everybody was getting PFAS in their blood, not just the ones handling the equipment, uh, which was interesting, Um, though, you know, not inconclusive unless you do a large study. And so the purpose of our paper was to alert people that it's there. We don't want to tell the fire surfaces how to act. It's not my job to tell you guys how to be safe. You guys are the risk management experts. Uh, You go into burning buildings or you don't, depending on a set of criteria. Um, Same thing with the gear. You guys can decide you're not going to get rid of the gear. You got to wear it. Uh, But you could do some standard things like segregate yourself from it when you're not needing it. I mean, so in already because of combustion products people are starting to wash the gear not at home but in you know the the fire station should have their own extractors uh, to get rid of the the combustion products that will also remove some of the loose pfas that would be a good thing to do um <clears throat> but it shouldn't be mixed up with your home laundry you shouldn't have the kids you shouldn't have a, a set in the trunk of the car that the kids play with you shouldn't um be lounging in it when you're waiting between calls honestly that's the hardest thing because you don't want to have to gear up every time but uh sitting around in the pants is probably not the best place because the two places where dermal absorption is going to be higher is going to be the neck and the armpits as well as the groin and so keeping this gear on keeping yourself exposed to it probably increases your risk of exposure i don't know how big that exposure is i'm not an exposure scientist there'll be people studying that and the the agency that's designed to study that is NIOSH uh, national institutes of occupational health and safety uh, safety and health Uh, but they're they're the experts at this um they just had never considered this before, they are tremendously underfunded so that they haven't had much funding to study this, but they've done some very good firefighter studies so far. And I've heard that they have now got funding to include a much larger study, which is what needs to be done. This needs to be done on a, you know, systematically to see if firefighter's blood, which we didn't do. It needs to be done on a thousand or more firefighters, not just on 30 sets of gear. And that would be, you know, those are the types of studies that need to be done to show what the percent the risk of this stuff is. Is it much less than AFFF? Is it equivalent to? Don't know. Um, But we know that it's not zero, and that's the point of this paper. It's to encourage people to do further studies, but it's also to give the firefighters a heads up now. You can do simple things. You can wash it. We, We saw transference in the, in my students working with the gear. They transferred it to the gloves, and they could see a pair of gloves without fluorine, and after they handled the gear, The gloves had fluorine on them. And so we wore gloves, uh, even though, you know, I know the average firefighter is not handling their gear with gloves. And I think this is, you know, um, just as long as you know that, then you'll be a little bit more respectful of what that gear is. It's a very well designed and well-made gear to keep you safe in 300 degrees, um, but it has some toxic chemicals on it to do that, um, to help keep it water resistant. And it doesn't need to, in my opinion, though, uh, you know, the textile makers will be the ones to finally decide that. Uh, But I think that it will be one of those things that we're going to phase out. Um, The old gear has more of it than the new gear. Uh, The new gear has more of different chemicals, Uh, uh, the the, uh, uh, light chain C6s and things like that. And that's a little concerning because that targets different organs and we don't know which ones, but we'll find out. And I don't really want to find out using firefighters i'd rather do it on mice so i would prefer that the fire services get away from the fluorine coatings um, and for all the right reasons Um, we're also concerned with end of life where does the gear go after everybody gets rid of it in 10 years and that means it goes into a landfill and we end up uh, after 20 or 30 or more years that will decay in a landfill and all the chemicals will come off not just the small percentage on the outside our study focused just on the very exterior of the jackets and the, and, the, and the liners and things like that. So we didn't go deeply into them. So people say, how could that much wear off and I not notice it? Well, it's just the, you know, it's a subtle change on the lost uh, outer layers of these things, which produce lots of chemicals. But there's still 99% of it still left on the jacket. So you don't see any durable water resistance loss or anything like that. But you can very clearly see the outside is a uh, um faded a little bit and sure enough there's a little less fluorine on that outer layer. Inside layers still got plenty of it so you're still dry. Um, I think that's the basic conclusions of our study and why we did it. Um, it, We are independent in the sense we're not funded by anybody to do this Um, and that meant that uh, we are not beholden to any company to sort of say oh this is good and that isn't. Um, I'll tell them all that it's you know there are, there are things about this that will worry me and that's why I'm, I'm publishing this. It took us a while to get it published. Uh, there, it goes through a, a scientific review process that takes months. Um, and, you know, I had lots of revisions for me because I can't say this, but I can say that depending on the data. They also gave me references I hadn't known about and we were able to uh, to tie into other published literature, which is the re- which is the purpose of the review. <clears throat> and so now the paper, I think, is fairly addressable, uh, accessible to, to firefighters they should be able to read the main paper it gets a little technical in all the details but I think that the gist is fairly clear and the reason we put it in new environmental science text letters is a it's the number one environmental journal in the U.S. But b, it has to be short, it's three thousand words in the main article, so that it's sort of here's the synopsis, this is why it's important, and all the data is stuck in the in the supporting information and so you don't have to wade through all the plots and charts and the supplemental information, but if you can get the gist of it, you'll see what we're saying, and we're not saying that you know it's uh, it's all bad and the sky is falling. We're saying, you know, I think we could design a bit of textile for our first responders. And one that wouldn't, you know, increase that risk. Um, and is it causing cancer? I can't say that. I can't say that it isn't, but uh, nobody can. That's the trouble. So nobody can say this is safe. Um, they can just say that. Well, there's it, not proven any connection. Well, this is true. Uh, I haven't proven connections between most things in life, but uh, it doesn't mean that. You know, we should. Uh, there's all sorts of things we don't do because it doesn't look safe to lick the outlets, right? Uh, I haven't done it myself, and I don't encourage people to do that. I would. Encourage people to treat the gear with respect, and you know, understand its purpose and why it was built this way, and then realize that you know, if I have a situation where I'm just going to the library to meet kids, maybe I shouldn't be dressed in the firefighter's turnout gear this time, um, and that's unfortunate because it's so identifiable and iconic with a firefighter. But you know, as we learn about combustion products being on the gear, everybody knows how to decon now because of that. And, you know, it's it's dangerous to have those combustion products. Those are very dangerous for us. Um, and so cleaning the gear after the, after use uh, decontaminating it, but then also just hanging it separately, keeping it sequestered from living quarters. Um, all those sort of things, and there's sort of policies. The locals here um, told me that, you know, they go on a call that isn't—it's an accident, but not a fire situation. They don't dress in the gear. They actually keep it in a bin in the in the equipment. They get the equipment if it turns into a fire situation. They can dress there and address the fire. But if it's just a, an accident, they go without the gear. And then one of the firefighters told told me, well, we have this bin in the in the equipment that you know it had the gear in there for months. It's got like an inch of dust in the bottom. Would that be bad? And I was like. Good idea. Why don't you have a policy of vacuuming that out? That would be a great place to get rid of the dust. And, you know, I didn't know that. I'm not an active firefighter. And so these guys came up with their own solution. They said, yeah, maybe the rookies are going to vacuum all the equipment. Not a bad idea. Um, Not for the rookies, but uh, I mean, it's just one of those things that uh, it's, it's one of those uh, operational procedures, I'm not gonna get into that for the fire services. They have to decide on response times and dressing and all that sort of things. But I think every firefighter has his own uh, ability to to sort of uh, minimize risk and they should for the sake of their future health. Young guys aren't thinking about it. The old guys are thinking about it very, very much so because of the incidence of cancer so high. And is this a contributor? Well, PFAS as a class are known to be immune suppressors as well as have direct links to different diseases. Uh, And so what if this is an insidious little chemical that is making you um, susceptible by reducing your immune system to other diseases. Well, that would be pretty nasty. Um, but there's a chance that all PFAS do this. It's known that all PFAS do this. The question is, what are the PFAS levels that require uh, that sort of thing to happen? And we found uh, in, the, in the original studies that there's only factors of two in blood levels that reduce their uh, efficiency a lot. So um, I think that's the result of the study. It's why it's there. Uh, I hope it's of importance to the fire services. I hope they react appropriately. I don't think they need to you know, uh, stop anything. But the discussion should start about how this got into the gear and how we should go forward to get gear that doesn't have it. Um, and is it possible to have gear that doesn't have it? I'm sure somebody who makes it will say it isn't. Uh, but remember we said we couldn't live without F either. And lo and behold, in three years, we're all going to be without it because the military is phasing it out. Um, and yet there are phones that put out fires now uh, that are uh, not fluorinated and i think that that will happen in the gear as well it's just it's not going to be as quick um and i'll answer questions if you have any jim
0: i just want to make sure i'm on the same page as you because mm-hmm. you you said it off awful lot there definitely Sorry about that <laughs> no 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 it's good it's good so just just for uh kind of my summary my thoughts in my head mm-hmm. we know that our gear from 2012 before had pfoa in c8 and we know that even though that's supposed to be an outer shell it was still migrating into places where it shouldn't be and that we were losing uh some of these chemicals and and where they were going we're not necessarily sure whether we were again absorbing them inhaling them even ingesting them
1: or maybe it's just going into dust in the station and you didn't okay. absorb it from you but all the other guys dust was there when you were eating your breakfast one morning
0: okay and then we know now that They've gotten away from the PFOA, the CA, and they're using different chemicals, basically a cousin of a PFOA.
1: That's on that's on the moisture barrier, on the outer shell. I'm not convinced they ever went away from what they always used, which turns into PFOA. It isn't PFOA when they use it, so it's this this side chain fluoropolymer, which is CA based. Um, and you know, it's it was a surprise to some of the companies that that were still C8-based, they didn't know uh, because it's all done abroad. But, you know, if this is a not PFOA, so therefore it didn't fall into the voluntary phase out. It's an N-ethylphosa, which is a, a fluorinated octosulfonoamidic acids, eventually. And so those, you know, that's not PFOA, uh, but it is a C8 structure that, when it degrades in the sunlight and water, uh, will t- over time, could be hours, could be months, uh, somewhere in that range, it'll turn into PFOA. Um, or if it gets in the bloodstream, even quicker. So that's the concern that that it's not just PFO we should be looking for. But when in a court of law, PFO is the only one that we've actually got cases already proven in a court of law that this thing causes problems. So everybody will point to that and say, "Oh, it's PFO free. We're fine. We're fine." I have an argument with that, saying, <laughs> "Look, I don't. I just because C6 has not been found guilty in a court of law, yet means it." <laughs> I, is isn't that I mean it's safe. It just means that we haven't done enough studies and I bet you in 10 years, they'll be phasing out C6 as well. And so the the concern is that, you know, oh, it's all safe now, we, we got rid of PFOA is a bit of an overstatement. Um, and it certainly doesn't apply to every layer of the jacket, just the moisture barrier. Um, and that means that there are no firefighters alive, for example, that wore a jacket before 2014. I don't believe that. Uh, some of us, are, some of them are still wearing that. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's you know, prior exposure we haven't talked about, we've we've um, and and the fact that the outer layer still sheds it is is of concern. So clarify that a little bit in the sense that yes, things have gotten better because of this lawsuit back in two thousand and twelve, but it was um, not the main issue that we found and the fact that all the inner line had plenty of before in it from wherever it came. <clears throat>
0: So the, the manufacturers have now gone to the Okiotech standard. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yep. That's an industry
1: standard that they use to confirm that it meets certain specifications. Um, if you have an Okiotech certificate, you can claim it doesn't have certain things in it because they've tested for it, which is good. Um, The OKTech standard, there are several levels of them. There's a goal standard, there's an eco standard, and you can go up and up. If you pay more money, you can get a higher standard. Um, But they, of course, just test for what you ask them to test for. And so the primary OKTech standard tests for C8 presence and does it have P4 on it. Um, if the outer shell isn't made with PFOA and the moisture barriers since 2014 haven't been dipped in solvent of P4, then those standards will come. And, and it's also an uh, a industry standard of 25 part per million or something, so it's pretty large. Um, and if it's below that, then you don't have, uh, you don't have, uh, I forget what the standard number is, but it's, it's large. 25 uh, uh, could be part per billion. But it's one of those standards that is so high that um, you're not likely to see that in PFOA alone as it is. But what we discovered yeah, what we discovered is that there's a thousand times that of the replacement to PFOA. We found in the paper that we could soak it and get, you know, part per million levels of C4 off. And now C4 is different than C8. It's, uh, people will tell you, oh, it's much safer. And that's based on the idea that it spends much less time in your body. And so it's true, uh, PFOA will spend five years in your body on average, uh, whereas this will spend just three weeks. So that must be safer, right? Because if you get some in your blood, this thing will wash out in a few weeks. The other thing will stay there for five years. That's the one that causes liver cancer, all all sorts of bad things. However, kidney cancer. Um, But... uh, my argument there is that's based on an exposure model of a single exposure. You got doused in some, you accidentally ingested some foam that was sprayed. You'll get a dosage. Five years, you'll be half of it. will gone out of your body. You're good. What if you put on gear every day and the next morning, you're starting to excrete that chemical. That means you're getting a little dosage every day, even though that washes out in three weeks. Most firefighters wear their gear more than you know, once every three weeks. So is that a possible source of exposure to a short-chain chemical that's continuously in your bloodstream? We don't have any idea what that does in terms of health effects. Presumably less than PFOA, but we're not absolutely sure of that.
0: Where do you think, where would you like to see this go from here? I mean, you, you were kind of on the ground floor of this uh, and kind of in a way, I guess, opened up Pandora's box. Um, Where where do we go next?
1: Well, I don't need to frighten everybody. It's not going to be the end of the world today because we discovered this, but you like to know all the information before you play that poker hand, right? Uh, As much as information as you know, you know the gear has got this stuff on it. Just look at it a little bit differently and hang it on the shelf and know that, yeah, when was the last time I washed that liner? When was the last time that it got uh, deconned and things like that? When was the, do I need to wear it all the time? Is there dust? from the equipment storage locker that's laying around. Does that dust get blown through the station? I mean, those types of questions you can ask, which really aren't changing anything but a few policies and procedures. And then let the experts at NIOSH confirm this and expand it, let the uh, uh, administrative bodies that govern NFPAs to decide, you know, is it possible to meet this uh, water resistance requirement without fluorine? And uh, I'm told that it is. So by experts that know how to do that. Um, so then the question is, why aren't we doing that? And if you know administrators that have the chance to purchase new equipment and new turnout gear are then offered a choice of, well, I can have the one with cancer containing chemicals or the one that doesn't. I think that's a pretty obvious choice. I'm not talking about regulating it. We could go to the government, ask them to regulate it. That never works well, not in this country. Um, and it will be fought by industries that want to keep uh, doing the same thing Uh, so why bother why don't we just use market forces and say look you have a choice of the cancerous one or the non-cancerous one. That's a pretty clear choice for most of us if it does the same function. And I'm not a fire service function person. That's that's somebody who's got to say that this gear is just as good. It doesn't add weight. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't have another toxic chemical that's worse. It's not made out of asbestos. Isn't it? Uh, that type of stuff? And so uh, we should make sure that the gear is as safe as we can make it. And our argument is that PFAS is not the safest gear we can make. Um, it is certainly one of the most. Water resistant uh, chemicals we've ever made, but that's, um, that's not the only reason we put this gear on.
0: I wanted to kind of expound on what you said earlier. We still have to wear this gear. Um, it, it gives us our best chance, obviously, of not being able to fight fire, but we need to be more responsible with that. So, extracurricular stuff, we need to kind of stop doing some things like uh, putting the kids, on, putting gear on kids. For example, Um, putting, Uh, uh, putting the, uh, wearing our gear during the stair climbs. Uh,
1: uh, There's, there's obviously good reasons to condition firefighters. You know why they do it. They want you in full gear. They want you to work out, you know, there's a weight belt. Uh, Maybe you should be doing that. Or, you know, can you at least manufacture some gear that doesn't have it in for training? Um, That would be quicker and easier. Um, But I think you want to get used to the feel of it and things like that. I, there's all sorts of arguments as to why you should train in the gear, but I don't understand why we should be getting particularly sweaty in it if it isn't a fire situation. Um, there must be other things you can wear that will make you sweat too, um, just to make sure that you're conditioned. Um, and, and I'm not the expert there; you guys know how to do it, and nothing well, feels like the real thing, I'm sure. But it's one well, of those other equivalents.
0: And and there's even more areas too. You know, I, I think about uh, explorers. You know, we mm-hmm. have and and explorers throughout the country. You know, these. High school kids that, uh, even grade school kids in some cases that are w- wearing definitely old gear, you know, before 2012. For example. Probably shouldn't be wearing that anymore. Uh,
1: we sh- probably shouldn't even be sending it to Mexico. Or,
0: or yes, good. exactly. We, we send it there. Um, no, you're, you're right on. So we just need to be a little bit more responsible about what we do with our gear and, and when we actually wear it. Here's the scary
1: part. What do we do with it when we get rid of it? Um, By all means, this thing should be classified as hazardous waste. Um, And so putting it to landfill is not a good solution unless it's, you know, uh, it should be incinerated at high temperature or sent to a a toxic waste landfill. Um, That's going to cost money uh, and nobody wants to pass that along to the fire services. So, you know, that's, but those are the things we're not paying for that at the moment. Yet if somebody points out that you can't put it in my landfill, that would be it's starting to get expensive now and who's going to pay for that and you know the answer is it's fire services have to end up paying both ends of it right because it's suddenly not the manufacturer's responsibility anymore um, and i think that's where we need some guidance and some you know that's that's where the states and the, and the federal government will do some legislation eventually but it's it's that's i'm more concerned at the moment about the firefighter fire exposure and uh not the community exposure after the gear's done. But I think you're absolutely right, Jim. If you guys can think of ideas of how to, you know, maybe there's another way to do this. Uh, And I'm not trying to say that those fire services should change any policies, procedures. That's, I I don't know them well enough to know how to change them. But I could suggest things that would, you know, anything that reduces your exposure. And and you had some good ones right there that you can think of. And in some situations, it may make sense.
0: I I even think this is the volunteers. The farmers that don't have a lot of money, uh, you know, yes, we have this NFPA 10-year rule, but they may not have a choice. That I've, may be the best I've heard such they things. Yep.
1: Yeah. I, and the volunteers around here, I mean, once they get out in the rural districts, they are volunteers. And, you know, uh, there's one guy working two jobs, a city job and a suburban job, and he keeps he set a set of gear in his trunk oops um, I said is there any way you cannot he says expensive I don't have one set guy I was like yeah I know but uh, it's this is where uh, the exposure you know what if the kids are playing around the trunk what if he's got other gear and as is, is, he was washing some of it at home
0: um, yeah that's the issue so I, you know and I, I preach a lot about just ultimately trying to reduce our exposure as much as possible to all these different carcinogens whether that's diesel exhaust you know wearing your your pack for overhaul Um, there's exposures that just us as human beings have to this, these PFO chemicals, PFAS chemicals, whether again, you're, you eat eat some microwave popcorn, you use some Teflon, uh, you know, this stuff is in our, in our water systems, a lot of places because of foam, but, um, for firefighters, it's just, we already are going against all these different exposures. And now it's like, in addition, Hey, the foam that you used. It's our carcinogen. Oh, the yep. gear, by the way, if you were certainly before 2012, it's carcinogen. I mean, it's just like we're already up against all these different things, and now it's just more and more and more. And you just, you know, again, I think as a firefighter, you think the thing that's supposed to protect us from all this stuff is our gear, and then you find out that uh, actually may have been harming you a little bit. Yep, it's um, it's a, it's scary to try to to. all that together it's just um you just kind of have to shake your head
1: you do and you know don't get don't get too overwhelmed by the idea you know living is dangerous we're all going to die um the trick is not to do it quickly and so you know everything is carcinogenic at some level but you know almost everything and so the idea that this might contain a carcinogen or might contain something that whacks your thyroid out or your immune system all of those are bad, uh, but it doesn't stop us from functioning. And even COVID-19 doesn't stop most of the fire services from functioning, right? I mean, it's bad, but uh, we deal with it and we move forward and the guys are doing a wonderful job with that. So where does this lie in the realm of danger? It's something that I think, like you said, it's more about information at this point than actually, oh my God, I got to stop this and do it tomorrow. Somehow, how differently. It's what can we do by thinking about it, and then, you know, letting your representatives know that, you know, if there's an alternative, why would we put this stuff on our bodies? Um, and there's lots of other chemicals out there that do the same thing. Uh, there's you know things that we're putting on uh, masks <laughs> that everybody's wearing these days. Uh, should it really have nano silver on them? Probably not. Uh, Should it have PFAS? Probably not. Um, And so there are things that the companies will take advantage of, even a a terrible pandemic, to to say, oh, we need more bleach. Well, probably not. Uh, Soap and water does well. Uh, Those sorts of things are, are, you know, where a little bit of education can go a long way. And that's my, that's my is to educate, to try to tell people in plain language what it is and what it isn't. Um, we cannot prove this causes cancer. We cannot prove that you're gonna keel over tomorrow because of this. What we can say is that there's an increased risk of PFAS exposure. And that's something that the fire services should take seriously as they take all these other, the combustion products you pointed out, absolutely. Those are really nasty chemicals. but It has gotten more nasty with time. So that probably accounts for most of the increase in cancers, but uh, we're now wearing SCBAs. Um, why is it still going up Um, and so could it be something as insidious as the PPE that's you got this chemical in it one way to do it get rid of it and see if it stops Um, my guess is that there might be other things still you know what's what's in the rubber of the the SCBAs all that sort of stuff but it's it's one step at a time and you know you, you make policies to make order out of chaos and your department has a lot of policies in place. This is what you do first, this is what you do second. This is how you respond to a situation. As long as you follow the protocols, you're probably gonna be pretty safe. Uh, this is one that we're just gonna probably have a couple new protocols of eventually. And if you do that, you'll probably be pretty safe. Um, and eventually, uh, I'm hoping what comes out of this is a real industry-wide discussion of, is there any other way to do this involve these particular chemicals that are of concern? And there are. Um, And so the question is to get people onto that, but the, you know, the guys who make the gear aren't chemists. They don't, they don't, you know, it's the chemical companies that tell them it's all safe and there, therein lies the problem. So I'm not, I don't have any problem with gear manufacturers or the textile manufacturers. They don't, they're not a chemist among them. They just simply make the gear and they make good gear. Uh, It's the,
0: they're being told these textiles are safe and they just may not be.
1: The, the even the textiles themselves are made uh, it's the stage up from that it's the company that sells the treatment that's put on the textile ah, yes 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 uh, and if you ask them oh we don't make firefighting gear <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You can make the chemical that put on the textile that gets sewn into. It. And so it's, it's a long chain away from the person who says the stuff is safe. Um, and they're very careful as to what they say is safe because you can never prove. Uh, but they can also never prove that the new stuff is any safer. I mean, it honestly isn't. So it's actually more water soluble. It gets in the blood easier. Uh, it may come out quicker, but if you see more of it... Mm. Uh, It's a, it's a toss up there. And so there's, there's lots of chemistry behind it. I don't want to go into the dive too deep in the details, but there's a lot of reasonable people out there, a lot of publications. The firefighters read a lot of stuff in between calls. Um, Do the research yourself and look at what's out there and look what people have said. And it's, you know, PFAS is not the most toxic chemical ever but boy is it the most persistent we've ever had and that is probably going to lead to one of the most expensive cleanups we've ever faced in this country um and because of it and and you know Nobody thought about that when they first invented this stuff. Uh, now that polar bears have it in their blood. Why, because it circles the planet and doesn't decay and it ends up at the north and the south pole in, in abundance. And so That's a warning sign that yeah, maybe we shouldn't be using so much of this stuff. We could use it in, you know, essential uses. It's used in, for example, sending spacecraft beyond the Solar system because they need a lubricant in space, and this is the only thing that lubricates in space. They need it for doing retinal uh, eye tears surgeries because they need something in the eye drops that will be uh, a solvent. And you know, I could see that as an essential use, um, but you know, it's a few little droplets as opposed to I've got 1.2 million sets of turnout gear manufactured that are being worn. Uh,
0: that's a lot of this chemical being used, all right now. Let's wrap things up here. Sure. If, um, first of all, I appreciate your time, uh, in, in, not just time right now, but time all the time and effort putting into this study and for the betterment uh, of the fire service. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can, um, our listeners find out more information regarding this? Well, there'll be a
1: bunch of websites up. I'm sure that the Last Call Foundation and that group that I, volunteers I work with will have lots of links. Um, there are PPE specialists all over the services and that's where I got a lot of my information from. Um, the paper itself will be available online, but probably with access restrictions to some, uh, mainly the universities and things. But uh, you can always ask our uh, public relations uh, desk and they'll get you a copy of the paper itself. Uh, the websites will probably have some of them floating around pretty quickly. Um, and I would encourage you know just uh, to keep looking at the. There'll be lots of arguments that people make about all oh, we so the gear is perfectly safe, perfectly safe. Look at who's writing the article and see if there's an agenda. Notre Dame doesn't have an agenda for the fire services. I'm doing this because a spouse of a firefighter wrote me and she's a force of nature. She has managed to convince most of the most of the country that you know this is not just her being crazy. This is something that's of concern and did it cause a husband's cancer Uh, probably not Uh, it is just one of those things that um, it's a combination of factors and why aren't we looking at this one like we're looking at combustion products Um, well there's an interest in not looking at it if you're making it so there therein lies a sort of rub and so i think that um, uh, i would encourage firefighters to continue the discussion talk to everybody about that this is not just somebody's made up uh, um, scare, it's its a concern. And its it may not be a big one. We'll do bigger and better studies over the next few years and we'll see how much of a concern it is. But if it turns out to be a big concern, then it's good to know it now. Um, and it doesn't cost us anything to take precautions, um, uh, just to, to be a little bit safer. It's uh, all the name of the job, right? Stay safe out there as best you can. And thank you to, for taking the time, Jim, to listen to this and uh, help, helping communicate it to the first responders.
0: Thank you, Garam. Um... I will put a link to uh, the person to contact for more information regarding this on the sure. show notes. And speaking of the show, please share it, uh, with everybody on social media and everybody. So we can kind of get your message out there. Uh, hit the subscribe button, comment, if you will, uh, you know, write a nice review, um, for Graham or me. No, write it for me. No, no. So, uh, Now, with that, again, I thank you for everything. And uh, I'm sure I'll touch base with you here soon enough. Thank you very much, Jim.